You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy today's episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Security Sandbox. I'm Amanda Fennell, Chief Security Officer and Chief Information Officer at Relativity, where we help the legal and compliance world solve complex data problems securely. And that takes a lot of creativity. One of the best things about a sandbox is you can explore and try anything. When good tech meets well-trained, empowered employees, your business is more secure. This season, we're exploring ways to elevate the strongest link in your security chain, people, through a creative use of technology, process, and training. Grab your shovel and let's dig in. In today's episode, our sandbox heads to the scripts for a simplified conversation with Lou Yek, Clix CISO, and Hector Pena, Relativity's Senior Manager of Security, on the delicate art of blending automation and analytics with human expertise in your security program. Let's dive in. All right, so Lou and Hector, I feel like I basically went into my LinkedIn and popped in the keyword automation and the two of you are the ones who popped up. So that's how we got to today. But in my background of my work history, the two of you are the ones I've worked with the most, this comes to mind. So let's level set with automation. It can mean a lot of things. I'm going to ask what it means to you. And I want this to be a very existential answer. (laughs) But how you see automation, but also how your teams and your security program see automation. Lou, you are up to bat. Thanks, Amanda. So, I mean, I think for me, it's very very simple. Um, You know, it's how do we uh, use technology to, you know, augment, you know, our teams, um, you know, we have, just like everybody else, we have a shortage in staff, right? And there's never, there's the never ending task list of things to do. So how do we leverage technology to help us, you know, simplify processes um, and, and even make decisions uh, for things like repetitive tasks? Um, I think, I think that's really uh, where we've benefited from the most. Um, I think the, the repetitive tasks one has been, I think, a, a really good one for us, like, um, Example I would use is uh, cloud compliance, right? Using automation to uh, let uh, technology make corrective actions for violations, so users don't have to do that, especially ones that happen frequently. And then, you know, then we can follow up later on with uh, you know policies and and enforcement and things like that. Hmm. I mean, I wish I could just hand that over to Hector and be like, Hector, what are your thoughts? But that would be easy. And since we work together, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to ask you to go straight for the negative then, which you're good at this part. What are some mistakes that you might have made along the way with thinking of automation and like how you've implemented it? You've used it with your team. You tried to integrate analytics. What are some mistakes we've made? So some of the mistakes I have identified just with automation is actually thinking you've automated everything for a, the items to fall through the cracks. So uh, you may think you had documented all your manual, mundane, repeatable tasks only to go and automate it just to identify that you only automated maybe a section of it, maybe 10%, 30%, 40%, 50%, whatever the case is, right? So essentially what you thought you fully automated end-to-end requires you to do actually more work so that you continue to automate. So uh, the mistake that I guess I would identify is you're thinking that your small wins are your major wins when technically you've only started the battle and you've yet to even win the war of automation. 
Oh, man, so negative to start. I love it. I'm not surprised at all. That's exactly where I thought you were going to go with it. It's, it's a good one. Um, I will say that Lou, as a caveat to really make sure that you don't get under any feet to the fire here, I believe that your perspective and information does not in any way represent Click. Is that correct? Fair enough. <laughs> it's enough. That's fair enough. So in your background, totally sanitized, unrelated, have there been any things that you made some mistakes with how you tried to do analytics and automation in your security program, just like Hector? He saw a lot of things he thought were big wins, and they were they were just the, the tip of the iceberg. I mean, I think for us, because uh, I relate to Hector's example, I think for us it was uh, awareness training, right? We had automation for, you know, user awareness training, and we had this, we, we thought we had it all sorted out, you know, it would go out to all of our users. And what we found was, uh, uh, we, we basically found that our, our platform was sending training to the wrong users in, in the wrong departments, and then we had, uh, we had un- other uh, unexpected bugs and inconsistencies. And so overall, we thought we were simplifying our lives um, because users could take the training and then we would see the completion. And in, actually, in, in actuality, what ended up happening is um, we, had, we actually ended up having to have more work you know, for the right of the schedule of, of our process because um, we had manual activities where we had, to, we had all these interactions with users who had questions, who couldn't find things. Um, and then, you know, and then, like I said, we had inconsistencies. And so um, at the end of the day, it, it turned out to be uh, a, a large learning experience for us where we are um, going back to, uh, you know, chart a new path later on this year. Let's, let's leave it at that. Well, so like, let's navigate back to the, the friendly forest here of the positive. So there's a big problem with automation. It seems to be about how it's framed. And so I think that's the question of how does it go from being a job replacer to a job amplifier? So do you have any perspective on how you frame it or is that something that you haven't really honed in on? No, I think I think I think it's definitely not a job replacer. I mean again, I think I think for us it's a force multiplier, right? It's helping us, you know, realize economies of scale, you know. As I mentioned, it's things like repetitive tasks, right? Um, being able to even like just simplify that, you know, and that allows you to elevate uh, activities for our, for your staff to focus on other things. Um, part, part of this other conversation is um, with automation, you know, you can have decisions being made and then you push some of those tasks down to other tiers, like a, like an operations or a service tier. So if a, if a decision is made uh, through technology, then your, your service tiers are just handling, you know, the, the, the ticketing and, you know, uh, post-decision making uh, cleanup. And so for us, I think it's, it's, it's helping us to move some of the responsibilities to a different level. Um, and, or, or you could look at it conversely of elevating, you know, a, a different uh, group um, to be in, you know, empowered to, uh, to make decisions as well. Hmm. Hector, it's time to tap you in. Do you want to fight with them or you agree with this? Sure, I guess. So how do you, is a job, it's going back to the original question of job replacer, job amplifier. I would lean more towards on the uh, on the job amplifier um, personally. So I, I think that we we put people in the in their positions that they need to to succeed to to be able to handle a, their manual task. I think in Lou's case, he's talking about uh, compliance trainings, right? So we we put people in order to to handle that job. But there's just so much overhead that goes into that type of work, such as having to verify that users have completed those trainings, um, that they're actually taking effect, that if you're preventing different blocks or different preventions, uh, access requests based off of those trainings. I think putting somebody in that role 
as a and, and putting automation around that will amplify the role to be able to spread out to further parts of the organization to be able to complete those tasks with uh, with faster times, uh, faster response times, faster integrations, um, being able to analyze the results with with more speed uh, versus the job replacer, whereas we don't want to build the automation to remove that person so that we're no longer having somebody actually monitor um, that that the compliance that Lou that the compliance training and security training that Lou might be referencing, right? We don't want to put a a, a automation, a script, a robot in that case. We want a an actual a human to be able to guide that automation to to amplify the results of of that type of work. Why do you like humans so much, Hector? You're always fighting for that, that you want to make sure that people are not forgetting the human element of automation. But what's what's the deal here? Personally, I will tell you because I can talk to them. I can have an, a, 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 an exchange with them and try to figure out the pain points where the automation may just throw a, a trace a trace stack error back at me or an output that says, go find this. So it comes down to the technical part of where I can have a human that interacts with the, the framework can actually pinpoint where items need to be corrected, need to be improved, where the automation is just doing what it's told to do. So I, I do I do have the, the banter of the human is what I definitely enjoy in the automation life cycle. Oh, you just like to banter back and forth, right? <laughs> they, they get the Futurama jokes, but yes. that's, you know, the main point. But So if you have people who are starting out, so I'll, I'll start from the beginning for everybody. If we're starting out, let's look back a couple years. Let's do a little bit of a flashback. Best practices... If you're going to build automation and analytics into your program, you're on a small scale, you're on a budget, where would you tell people to start and what resources? And then, Lou, I'll kick it to you after Hector chimes in. So small scale, small budget, small budget. I would definitely try to eliminate any type of, I'd say, verification processes, for, for example. So those might take, uh, say, vulnerability verification, phishing verification, um, endpoints, just deployments, tools, try to make sure that your services are healthy so that you actually know how effective your program is. If, if you can shine light uh, on a lot of like dark spots, with, uh, dark areas within an organization, such as visibility coverage, cyber coverage, uh, where your weaknesses might be, and, and automation can help you uncover that to help guide you of how good your security posture is, I think that could be a, a, a win at a, at a low cost so that you know where to focus on so that when, you know, maybe the budget expands one day, you know where to invest. All right. Verifications. I'm taking that as the tagline. All right, Lou, what did you think? How'd you start out? What was your, like, where I'm going to start? So I would agree with that because it's, I look at those as repetitive, right? Because if you're, if you're doing validations, right, you're, you're basically going to be going across the company and asking, you know, similar questions, you know, to, to try to uncover those dark spots, right? But if you have everything, you know, in front of you, um, that, that allows you to see everything, you know, and, and kind of identify any areas uh, that require uh, additional uh, inspection, right? I think to take it up a level, too, once you get to that point, that's where you can have the automation of even just enforcement. Because, you know, if, you know, because everything is point in time, right? If you're looking at something, you know, and, and you're trying to identify uh, areas that may require some uh improvement or, you know, just, just problem areas, right? Because we probably have them, else, you know, in different parts of the company. Um, how do you make sure that it stays, you know, it stays clean, right? Because you, you're going to come clean your room and then, you know, five minutes later it could be, it, it may not be clean again. But that's where I think automation comes in because if someone comes in and makes a change or, or does something, you can have a bot come in and come back and say, okay, now we're going to clean the room up because you, you weren't supposed to do that, you know? And, and, I, and, and I think there's some benefits to that. 
So when you started out, you have some ideas and some priorities of how you're going to approach what your low-hanging fruit would be for some of your automation. What, I mean, there's no nice way to ask this, but did you have any screw-ups, something you automated that at the end you were like, that was totally not worth it. The juice was not worth the squeeze on that one. And I'll just take a step back and see who mentioned something first and be really quiet. I do have a very technical example I can provide you. So if you like, to, oh, let's go for it. So I feel like I better know about it, but okay. <laughs> you might not, just because it does operate in the background. So we built an automation to actually to to lock out user accounts that may have actually had a security alert trigger on them. Lo and behold, there's a lot of false positives, and some people started to get locked out of their accounts. Again, let's bring it back to the happy. We'll sprinkle some magic automation glitter. What was the success then, Lou? One thing that you were like, yeah, we nailed it on that one. For us, we have automation for, um, you know, if there's an event for, like, uh, devices, we will take action to, like, isolate or, or remove from the network. And so for us, it just, it's the, the, the value prop is the time to respond and put them in a timeout. They, like, the device is going to timeout so we can investigate then. So, so like, at you know, two o'clock in the morning when these things happen, you know, it, it happened, you know, the isolation happens almost, you know, within minutes and then we can sit there and analyze what's happened afterwards. Okay. I'd go for that. I feel like that's a success. I always like to kick people off the network. All right, Hector, what's your thinking? Something that you were like, yeah, this was awesome. Uh, I would lean into just enrichment of, of automation, right? So awesome. What's like, for example, you have, you know, wait, wait, wait. You're not starting with phishing? That's not where you're going? <laughs> well, we might lead into that discussion based okay, off the enrichment okay. talk if you wanted to go that way. But yeah, I mean, we have hundreds of phishing emails, hundreds of alerts to trigger all day long. And the enrichment process of having an analyst go to every single one of your vendors, every single one of your queues, just to go and get some intel indicators about compromise, to find out CVEs, to find out any emerging threats. Uh, the automation of actually just having that enrichment all in a single location for you that automatically gave you some of those results. It cuts down all the time of having to actually go and manually analyze that. You get faster time to response, um, faster information, and, and better analytics around your data so that you can make a, a, a true positive determination or a false positive of, you know, of a phishing email, of, of an alert that triggers on one of your endpoints. So I would say one of our biggest wins here is just enrichment of our, of our, of our logs, of our SIM platform. Of, of our output of our of our phishing program, so that has been a, a major win in the in the incident response world for us. Hmm. Okay, I mean, like I appreciate the the loop in for that one. I think there's a lot of like uh, it goes back to me as like a highlight here about what we consider success whenever you are doing something. And so for you, it's not just about the efficiency and time, but also the enrichment of it, the quality of something of what we're getting. So that's helpful. One thing I feel like we've navigated, and Lou, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's really about adoption of this idea of automation. And it feels like it's not always adopted. And I feel like um, it's a little bit how I am whenever people mention AI. I'm immediately like, is it AI or ML? Like I'm immediately defensive, as are most people in security, because we're like, we, we've seen so many people utilize the words incorrectly. And so automation is the same thing that I think it immediately gets a lot of people's backup and they don't necessarily, A, understand it, B, they think it is just magical dust that we sprinkle upon things and things happen. So what does adoption for automation look like and how do we do that or fail at that and some lessons people could have from it? 
So, so I think adoption is key for this because, like, if in order in order for you to have success, right, your the decision making or the work, the outcome is going to be um, driven, you know, with with groups and so with with not just the security teams but others. And and you know, example I'll say is like automation, like in our CI/CD pipeline. You know, we have components of security. Embedded in our in our in our. Not- that was a bingo. You said CI/CD. That's a security bingo right there. I, right. I was going to say I'm, I'm checking the box here. Yeah. Okay. Checking the box. <laughs> Keep going. But but I think like like it's you know you it's it's validation of security in your your CI/CD pipeline, but also your uh, the development lifecycle, right? So getting everybody on board with you're going to have these checks, right? And, and at different different checkpoints within your life cycle and then, you know, making sure that, you know, it's automated, you know, for, for us, mostly it's automated so that we have different checks and then it's about getting that data um, and, and uh, Hector mentioned enrichment, um, you know, getting it back to the, you know, stakeholders, whether it's something like a finding, you know, that in, a, you know, code finding or something related to, you know, maybe even a, a scan, right? But making sure that that automation gets back to the use to, to the impacted teams so that they can do the corrective actions. Um, but the automation is key because then it, it takes away from a, you know a user having to chase a group or a bunch of developers. You know it it just kind of shows up in every but the but the adoption piece is everybody being on board with this is the process and here's where the automated steps are going to come in and then the expectations once the once those you know, automated actions come in or the, or the reports come in, what the, what the expected outcomes are in, in terms of like, you know, corrections or fixes and things like that. Adoption from the executive team or the company, does that have to take place? Do you have to have it bought in from the CEO of the company to work on automation? Personally, I'm going to say no, because I think we somewhat do operate in our own little pocket of, of relativity as well as within the industry. So I think it's a bubble. I, don't think, I think we're just think, left alone. Yeah, bubble pocket, however you want it. That's kind of yeah. the same visualization I have in my it own is. mind of how to view it. Um, so yeah, I would say no, you don't need it to come from top down, from CEOs to executives, et cetera. I think there's a there's a playing field that we can we can operate on our own and we can automate what works for us and Honestly, we don't ever have to go and interact with any other users if you don't want to. So if they don't want to automate it, we'll either automate it for you or kind of get out of our way mentality. We're automating this, right? You know, welcome to the new to the new age, right? Um, and then there's also uh, there, there's also I guess in security, I guess maybe there's a little bit of uh, in, in relativity was freedom, right? You pick your own language, you pick your own scripting, Python, Bash. Um, you know, PowerShell, whatever worked for us. We weren't really told what to use, so we got to pick our own flavor. So we we kind of went with either Python or PowerShell, and we we and we were able to automate it that way without like this is the standard for an engineering team, or this is how our product is built. Use this. Type and that of didn't automation. set off any security alerts at all. We love PowerShell and security. It's awesome. Oh yeah, it, it, yes, it's fantastic, right? <laughs> so I posit, and I'm going to say this as like a shameless for myself, Lou, instead of a plug shamelessly for click. I'm going to do a shameless plug for myself as like the world's best boss. I'm going to get the mug. I'm going to shamelessly say that you were given that amount of latitude because of trust and because you were buffered. Because I do think there is a lot of attention on the executive level and the CEO and the company, the founder and so on, on automation. And they just loved hearing about the wins after it was done. They didn't necessarily need to know how everything was made. And so 
coming out every three months or whatever and saying, hey, we've automated this new thing in security was kind of like, oh, that sounds amazing. Security is awesome. As opposed to why are you so slow? So it goes back to what automation solves for, faster, more efficient, and less resourcing required for something. So you can give people more interesting things to work on. So you can retain top talent and so on and so on. I think it's kind of like this pattern that comes up with automation. Shameless plug for me. Lou, adoption, going back to that, did you need adoption about the things that you wanted to automate in your program from your CEO and from the exec team? No, I mean, I think I think for us it was also very similar is that we just, no, you know, no, for us. No. You have to say I was awesome. You have to say Amanda's a special unicorn. You're really lucky to work for her. <laughs> Start from there. <laughs> well, Start from there. Well, you Hector, are very, you're so lucky. You are awesome. Yeah. You are awesome. Right. But um uh, you but know, it's I think, normal. I, think okay. I don't I wouldn't say it's normal. I mean I think I think in general, I mean I think we can say in the security industry, you know, having you know good leadership at the top that's if they're supportive of security in general, you know, um, as long as you don't go, you know, stick your finger in the outlet, you know, I think you're um, you, you get some latitude. At least, at least that's what happened with me, and um, you know, having very supportive leadership uh, was definitely key. And um, you know, my my leadership is very techy, so it's helpful. Oh, so okay, great point actually. And let's just let's be super edgy here and talk about that. Whew, okay, leadership in the tech industry being techy. It seems like that's not always the norm. So how do you actually communicate efficacy of automation when it's not technical? So you have to have somebody in your company that's not technical. How did you convince them that it was something that was really useful to be done if they're not technical? Uh, so I'll be honest with you. I think it goes back to resourcing and then saying, like, well, if we have to continue to have these tasks as, you know, manual or, you know, I mean, because remember, automation isn't just, you know, the manual task, but also just, you know, reducing the number of steps users have to take. But the workforce would continue to have to grow, right? So part of this is, you know, it's it's either going to be we have to grow, you know, a, a longer, a, a larger bench for operations. Um, users may leave because they don't want to do these tasks anymore, right? And so there's a it's it comes down to for me money and 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 resource expansion. So automation is the the, the automation piece helps to say, hey, if we do these things, you know, we're we're simplifying and it's reduced costs or reduce you know offshoring costs or things like that. Yeah, there's a Hector, I'll kick it to you, but I will say that I've thought about this for a few years now. It's this best line, this moment in the Matrix, um, which, by the way, the Matrix, the original one, great, but anyone after that is successively less great. And so I don't remember which one it is, if it's the second or third one that had come out, but there's a moment when they're like overwhelmed by what's going to happen and how many machines there are. And they just say that moment that machines are digging. And that really resonated with me in terms of like the cyber realm because we can't compete with the automation that's taking place with adversaries. We just can't. And we can't throw enough resources at that and we can't throw enough bodies and people and so on. There's just not enough bodies for the grenades. And so at some point you have to fight them with what they also are doing. And that's the automation. They've, they've written scripts, they've done botnets, et cetera. So they're doing all of this stuff. We have to do the same thing and deploy the same thing. But also in order to be better, we've got a little bit more that we have to do. We have to reach a little bit further and look a little bit further along than they are in order to beat them. So I've always felt there's like a resonating thing about the resourcing, the people. That's the selling point of we're never going to win that battle. So you have to find a different way to try to win it. Hector, unmute that microphone, buddy. I know you've got some stuff to say. 
Oh, no, you're good. Sorry. I was just, I had a uh, knot in my throat. Didn't want that on the audio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. All right. <laughs> yes. So do you mind repeating the, the last bit of the question? No, here? I'm not repeating anything. Like I am what? totally going to put you on the spot, but no, the only thing I would say is that I don't think we can fight anything without automation because adversaries are automating. So if you go back to that and you look at this idea of like, how did you sell people in automation in any way, shape or form? Was it because you said we're going to be faster and we're going to need less people? Because now you argue about the fact that you don't have more people. But my question is, and this is a, we're going to take a one-on-one moment right now in front of everyone in the podcast. Your argument is that I need more people because we automated all this other stuff, but we have other things we need to focus on. But I thought that's why I let you automate it was so you didn't need more people. So this might go to what is one of your learning lessons of automation of maybe one of the earlier points I made is you only automated a subset of it, right? So I'm going to use definitely our, our analytics of we absorb data entry points from all over the organization, from our cloud platform, um, from our corporate environment, from our end users, from our SaaS products, and it's constantly feeding in, right? And we are trying to automate as much of the analysis as possible, right? So we try to enrich it. We'll try to close it. We'll try to make a, a determination of what would the human do, right? And the, the human says, hey, this is malware. So now we program this bot to do the malware for us. And as a result of that, we spin up another alert. And we spin up another alert and alert, another alert. By the time we realized that we maybe had 100, 150 different custom alerts, and we probably only automated maybe about 10, 20 of them that actually mattered, So what about the rest of them? We're constantly trying to put an automation out. But as we keep moving along the automation line, who's verifying that the automation actually works from the beginning? Did we get it correctly? Does it need to be tuning? It's it's kind of the mentality of, fortunately, sometimes it happens is set it and forget it. Hey, we won this battle. Let's move on to the next one. But, you know, hey, you know you're losing that battle again in the background. So... Um, you know, now you have to take people who are moving the front line forward and realizing, hey, there's guys, there's people coming behind you for, for you. I, I think you're, you're saying this in terms of adversaries are automating. They're trying to constantly adapt. I actually had a conversation with somebody on my team this week and I made a reference. I was like, yeah, relativity is a fortress. He's like, no, relativity is a country. And we're trying to defend about 200 different borders. We automated quality versus quantity, which we said earlier. It's about what you automated was it actually something that was super valuable that you were able to get to? Or were we just trying things out and we weren't there yet? I agree with you on that. So that, that's kind of my value. It is more automation sometimes might equate to more people. It's a very, like a, it's a, you know, a, a oxymoron in its own sense, right? It's like, how do you need more people when you're automating stuff? Well, you know, just because you automate it doesn't mean it actually went away. Now it's just possibly enriched. There's more output. There's more data streams from that automation. Who's absorbing all that? That's a really good point that I hope is a big takeaway for people, that more automation doesn't necessarily mean less people. I think peripherally, a lot of people think, wait, if you're automating everything, where's my job going? So let's remove that fear, first of all. If you're a talented individual, we would find a role for you. So it's not about that. And it would actually behoove you to automate that so that we can give you more exciting stuff to work on. So it's a good disclaimer that automating doesn't necessarily mean less people. But Lou, that was your selling point. It would take less resources. That's why we should automate. So what's your response to that? There's always more work to do. And so automation helps to reduce your, you know, your, your monotonous task, your repetitive task, right? I think, I think this is the theme of the conversation here, that even as Hector has mentioned. I always look at this as there's always more work to do. Um, and so using automation to get to data and, and to shorten 
decision points and decision making um, is key, um, but it could lead to more work, right? But there's always more work to do in security, right? There's always, you know, as, as you as you mentioned, you know, uh, attackers are automating. You know, I think that was a really good point, you know, and so um, we've got to evolve too. Well. Look, I've got some I've got some takeaways in case this isn't the obvious one for everybody who's been listening, but I've got some and we'll see if you I'm, I'm just going to do thumbs up if we agree with this, all right? I'm going to make some statements, we're going to see if it's controversial. So, in automation, you may have you may have won the battle, but the war is going to be ongoing, and what looks like a big achievement, it's already a thumbs up. All right. What looks like a big achievement might only be the tip of the iceberg in tasks that you would need to automate. So, for everyone who can't see, obviously, we use video so I can see the cues from people we're talking to. But this is a thumbs up from Hector, a thumbs up from Lou. We like that. The war is ongoing. Okay. Second one, implemented correctly, automation, analytics, this can be a force multiplier for your talent, but your talent should also be force multipliers for your automation. Feels like there's an organic amount here that the humans have to be working with the automation. I don't see thumbs up on that one. That's a no? Talk about it. What's the, I don't like this. Where do you think it needs to be? I guess let me try to decompress that statement. So you're saying that more, more automation technically leads to force multipliers, which means that as a result, your people should also force multiply their work, right? So essentially, you, as the person automates their, their job, their role, their task, their, 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 their repeatable item, that they should be, their job should be amplified. So now they have to go and do more work. Is that kind of what you're trying to oh, get at? Oh, man. Hector is stop. not happy about that one. <laughs> I know, right? He's like, wait, are you asking for more from my people? But no, I think there's an organic which comes first. But Lou, go for it. I see you about to say something. I think I agree with that. It just digest. Oh, like, done. We're done. Lou, you don't have to elaborate. No, I'm just kidding. I just ahead. dropped the mic. But drop the mic. I'm done. I agree with her. But yeah. No, tell him. Tell I, him why I'm right. I think I think I think the work, like it can lead to more work, right? It just may not be the security team. <laughs> like you I mean, that you're you're going to have like you're gonna have findings, you're gonna have something. And I was just thinking about this, like your automation could do, you know, the the data comes in and you're gonna get a bunch of outputs of things that need to be addressed. And so somebody's going to have to do them, right? The automation is going to tell you something, and that something or some things um, is going to or are going to have to be addressed by a subset of people. And so by being more efficient, you could be throwing more work over the wall. I guess that's all I'm thinking about. I think that's actually a way cooler mention to call out because it'd be awesome if I could just say, like, that was my you know, final point and that's it. But it's a great provocative point that sometimes when you're automating something, you just caused more work or you just threw it over the wall. You just moved it along. Someone else is still having to do with the manual work. Yep. So really seeing something through to completion is a much longer conversation than just like, okay, well, I automated this one thing. We don't care about anything else. That's how we measure success, so whatever, screw you. I think there's something about keep going along and follow the thread, keep pulling the thread to make sure that you've automated it to completion. I have a real-world example on that as well, specifically to throwing it over. We automated a, our vulnerability detection program where we took our, our vulnerabilities that our, one, of our, one of our security vendors identified. We automated a bunch of vulnerabilities to about different, you know, maybe you know, 50, 60 different engineering teams. They got about maybe 1,000 tickets, and we said, have fun. 
right? So we automated the identification part, but now they're going and stucking, verifying, and closing it, and adding it to their scrums and their agile workflows. And we're just and now what we have to do in the back end to close the loop is hang on, let me save you, and let me go and automatically close those for you now, so that you no longer have to worry about it. So now when we threw it over the fence, we had to reel it back, and then we said, here's a better product. Oh. We did that? When did we do that? That's horrible. I, that sounds yeah, vaguely familiar from two years ago. Yeah, it was about maybe mid-2021 uh, when, when the, the, the merger of our detection and automation and security operations team. Yeah, I feel like this was a moment in time that I had to deal with a lot of arguments from engineering. But yeah, that was not cool, dude. That was not cool. Sorry. Thanks for the... <laughs> <laughs> Lessons learned. <laughs> Lessons learned. All right. So I guess the last thing I would say that's a simple point for a takeaway is um, I feel like good leadership will trust the team to make the changes that need to be made. So there's a little bit of latitude that seems to be required for creativity and innovation to happen. We have to know what good is, but you got to have a little bit of trust there. And I think it's required. And it sounds like Lou, you seem to think that like it's the technical side of it that allowed for the trust. You have a technical leadership team. They know, they understand, they understand the value of what you're doing with your analytics, obviously as a company that's driven by analytics. So it seems like that's an agreement that you would say, yes, good leadership will trust the team to make some changes. Totally. Is that a, that's a test? Totally. Okay. Hector, shameless plug, back for best boss ever. Do you think good leadership will trust the team to make the changes? I would say so. I, it sound, I, I, I feel like I've gained your trust over the last five years of our working relationship here. All the way that, back to uh, your bro IDS, you know, yeah, convincing. A, Please don't take away bro. Yeah. Don't take away bro. Don't take away my job. Little things like that. You know, hey, but here we are, right? <laughs> don't tase me. No, it, it, was, it was definitely, there's a lot of trust for it, but I think that that's something that's been transferred um, reasonably well to the team that works under you. Like whenever you've proven yourself over time and time again that you fundamentally are passionate about what you're doing, you're trying to just secure our company, our data, and so on, there's a certain amount of trust that gets instilled that I know that you're doing it for the right reasons. This isn't something you're trying to do for any other reason other than you care. So I think it's super helpful. That's my quality moment. All right, so I end on quotes, and I, I think this is a fun one. So recently took a trip to Rome which means I've re-emerged as my obsession with Marcus Aurelius, obviously for everyone who's watched Gladiator. We all love him. By the way, just like Braveheart, not historically accurate whatsoever in so many different ways, but let's just move past that. But he does have, you know, as Roman emperor, I think he was only emperor for maybe 20 years, but really impactful wisdom that he's imparted in a lot of meditations. And I came across something because I've been reading a lot and watching some documentaries about him recently. And he said a comment that sounded very intriguing. Loss is nothing else but change, and change is nature's delight. There's a certain aspect of nature's delight, which found, sounded like such an intriguing pairing of words that feels like all the changes that come at us that we're trying to automate. It's this idea of almost like mischievous. It's this idea that there's so many different things that are happening in the world that we can't really be in front of. There's going to constantly be this change. We always say change is constant and so on. But how can we handle this? And there's a certain amount of acceptance of change and constantly changing that I think automation gets in front of and tries to. We know we can't solve for everything, but we can solve for a little bit of nature's delight. So I thought that was a cool one. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure to have both of you. 
I appreciate that my my grep expression has worked for my search about automation people in my LinkedIn. So thank you for joining today. And thanks for talking about how you worked on your automation program. Thank you, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Thanks for digging into these topics with us today. We hope you got some valuable insights from the episode. Please share your comments, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Security Sandbox is produced by Relativity. Our theme music was created by Monarch. Find us wherever you listen to your podcasts or visit relativity.com for more episodes.